Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Okay, Bettys, we have saved the best for last with you. And we are talking about chronic stress and hormones like cortisol and the interplay with fasting. And I saved this for the last in this fasting series because this is a fasting rhythm that I love to talk about. It's easy, it's doable, it's most relevant for most Bettys, especially if you are someone who is juggling many things at once. You know, you are juggling the kids, the home life, the career, the husband, you know, the holidays are coming up. Um, Um, And truthfully, when we think about, even if you don't have all of those things, like even if you don't have, you know, those five things that you're trying to juggle, the stress that I am trying to address here with fasting is the stress that goes beyond the day-to-day, right? So I will always classify stress in a couple of different verticals. We're going to talk about emotional stress. We're going to talk about physical stress. We're going to talk about chemical stress. But In a lot of cases, I will speak to women and they'll say, well, like my kids are great or, you know, I love my career or me and my husband have a really supportive relationship, but I can't seem to move this weight and I don't understand why. And sometimes it can be the stuff that you haven't yet fully worked through from your past. And I say this with a lot of love in my heart and um, for you, because it's really hard to admit this sometimes, right? Sometimes it's the things that you have been avoiding, maybe emotionally running away from, or the unconscious patterns that you have developed around conflict or your relationship to yourself or your relationship with others. And these reside in your nervous system, often just beyond your conscious reach. And um, we can talk about this in, in the context of science. This is a network of nerves called the default mode network. And we talked a little bit about this in my conversation with Dr. Maya, with Dr. Maya Shitreet. She is a pediatric neurologist. And our conversation was around psychedelics and how we can use them as a tool for healing. And I'll link out that episode in the show notes. But if you've never heard of the brain's default mode network, you I would love for you to be become familiar with it because you actually experience it every single day. It's what it's it's what you sense as the voice in your head. It's that voice that tells you like, "Ugh, this dress just makes me look just terrible and makes me look overweight and fat or oh my god, I can't believe you just said that. What a foolish thing to say, right? Or why did I do that? Like, "Ugh, you're so dumb." So those are those are examples um of maybe my default mode network <laughs> of my inner voice. Um And maybe that there's some parallels there with you, but just know that that default mode network is a real thing. It's a bunch of neural networks and these inner dialogues, they are always with us, right? They come, they are more um, like a nagging type of voice. They're like a defeatist voice that really never shuts up. And we've talked about this on the podcast before that it is, it, it is developed from our inter our external environment. Pardon me. When we are younger, I call them the fab four mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, 
who you will hear in an upcoming episode with Dr. Patrick Gentempo, my mentor. We talk about this as well. And then we integrate that. And, you know, in Eastern traditions, we will, you know, it's, it's referred to as the monkey mind, right? It's a mind that's always wandering. But the, um, the default mode network is involved in our memory, particularly our autobiographic episodic memories, right? So these are um, the, the the memories, the daily memories that play a role in helping us make a model of the world, predict the future uh, based on past events. So you can kind of see where this can go awry, right? Especially if you have a particular schema of the world or a particular viewpoint of the world. It has been shaped by your past experiences. So for example, if you have a child who tends to, let's say you have two children and one of them is a little older and she is bullying the younger child, you might be quicker to blame the older child for instigating or, you know, being aggressive physically uh, than you might the younger child because of previous episodic um past events, right? You've seen her be the instigator. You've seen her use her physical force. Um, in, 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 you know, adult world that might be, um, uh, a pre, you know, previous past experiences with females. So let's say you were in high school and this is me talking about myself here. Uh, you know, you were in high school, you were bullied, uh, you were made fun of. And then as an adult, you may have the predisposition to, keep an arm's length or longer, in my case, for many years, I would keep many arm's lengths um, from other women because I always thought, well, um, you know, people are, I can't trust people. Once I let, I let people in, they always hurt me. And that was my default mode network trying to keep me safe, right? So she was doing her job. She was trying to, you know, prevent me from feeling hurt. But you know, if you have a particular, let's say you meet a new woman and you are interacting with her as, as if she is going to hurt you, right? This has, this person has absolutely nothing to do with your history, but your default mode network will make it so, right? And so it ends up being the self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, these are some examples of neuro-spiritual, neuro-emotional trauma, where we have this chronic low-grade stress that is showing up maybe just beyond our perception. Maybe we, we're not even aware that this is causing this release of epinephrine and cortisol and some of these stress hormones in our sympathetic system. Um, other examples of stress might be in the physical realm. And we've talked about this before, where you might might be sitting for long periods of time with little to no period, little to no generalized movement. So that might look like for many of us, you know, one workout a day, we're like, okay, I'm going to work out. I'm going to try and do something. And then you, you do your workout for, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is. And then you sit for the rest of the day. So that is an example of very specialized movement with the workout and then very low generalized movement through the day. Um, in the chemical realm, that might be medications that you are taking to alter your biochemistry for whatever reason. That might be antidepressants. It might be antibiotics. It might be statins. It might be, you know, what have you. And 
in many instances, many of these drugs, the ones I just mentioned, and there are many others, they create metabolic derangement. They create insulin resistance and weight gain. Um, another example of you know a chemical stressor might be your diet. If you are not having uh, enough omega-3s relative to your omega-6 fatty acids. So you might be having a lot of vegetable oils, or you might be having a lot of nut seeds, uh, seed oils or nuts, all which have polyunsaturated fatty acids, but they are also highly oxidizable. So if you're not having uh, foods that are going to balance out that omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, or maybe you're having a lot of processed carbohydrates, et cetera, et cetera. So we can, and we talk a lot about diet on the podcast, so I won't lament there, but there are many um, ways in which we can expose ourselves to chronic low grade stress. And it's funny because when we think about for women in particular, I don't know where we have internalized this message, but it's, it kind of reminds me of the movie Keeping Up with the Joneses. If you've ever seen this movie, it's with Gal Gadot, who I absolutely love, uh, John Hamm, uh, Zach Galifianakis. And oh my God, if you want to laugh, Betty, you have to watch this movie. It's basically the premise behind it is uh, there's, you know, there's a couple living in suburbia and a new family moves in and it's all about like, wow, look how beautiful and look how perfect and gorgeous they are, they are as a couple. So the couple's Gal Gadot and John Hamm. And, you know, she is gorgeous and she speaks languages and different languages. And she's, um, and the uh, Isla Fisher, who is the suburban woman, is constantly comparing herself to Gal Gadot. And I actually think that that's a really good um parallel for how women behave today because somewhere we along the line you know we have figured or we have internalized this message that we need to be perfect all the time and f asking for help because that would be a too painful it would make us look vulnerable. What if someone says no? And oh my God, if I ask for help, that means somehow my image of perfection or that I have it all together is going to be shattered. And this is something that I want to start dismantling more and more of because in this type of patriarchal world order, because that is what we live in, unfortunately, and this is not a knock on men because I love men, but there is this idea that we have to do, 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 and that our productivity and that our accolades and our achievements are somehow representative of our worth. And in a metabolic sense, let's kind of bring this back to cortisol because <laughs> I could go on, but in a metabolic sense, pretending that you are a self-sufficient Hamlet, okay, uh, that you don't need anyone, uh, that you are good all on your own, you know, trying to juggle everything and becoming resentful of it is going to spike your stress hormones. So we've been talking about cortisol and epinephrine. Epinephrine is going to it's important in your fight or flight response. It's going to increase your heart rate. It's going to increase blood flow to the muscles, output of the heart, and it's also going to increase your blood sugar level. And cortisol is largely going to do the same thing. So it is going to fight with insulin to make sure that blood glucose stays in the blood and not get reallocated to the cells because that's what insulin does. Insulin takes the substrate. So whether it's uh, glucose, whether it's uh, you know amino acids, 
acids, whether it's free fatty acids, and insulin wants to shove those into the cell. That is the fed state hormone. Cortisol is going to fight with insulin to make sure that that does not happen so that those, so that blood sugar can get reallocated to the periphery, namely the muscles, right? It's for that fight or flight so that you have a lot of energy in your muscles so that you can either fight the perceived or real threat, or you can get away from it. So you can imagine now when there are these two opposing teams, right? You have team cortisol, team insulin, right? We all need to wear t-shirts, um, uh, to, uh, to represent our team, but we have, let's say we have team cortisol, team insulin. There's only going to be one winner, right? So the glucose and the other substrates for energy, but it's primarily glucose that we're talking about here. The glucose is either in the cell or it's not, right? And it's usually cortisol. And when I say usually, I mean always, <laughs> okay? So cortisol is always gonna win. So just like in Vegas, the house always wins, right? The same is true for cortisol and insulin. Cortisol is always gonna win because this is a survival mechanism. It is hardwired neurologically. Your body will shut down energy production, shut down reproduction, your immune system, your digestion, all the things that happen centrally for in favor of the periphery. Okay. So this is going to favor things like, um, well, actually before we even, before we even get there, what happens because cortisol wins, right? So we're keeping the blood glucose in the blood and this can actually be lethal. So insulin is like, we're not giving up. So she rallies her troops. She gets more and more and more insulin being secreted from the beta cells of the pancreas. And under this chronic stress, under the direction of cortisol, so we have this, uh, we have this cortisol insulin um, debauchery happening, the cells become insulin resistant. Under chronic stress, cells become insulin resistant. And we actually call this insulin mediated insulin resistance. Because there's too much insulin, your cells are like, okay, we got to downregulate our sensitivity to this. And this is what favors when a woman is under chronic stress. This is what favors the weight gain through the belly, the dark circles under her eyes, maybe even skin tags, the uh, early signs of insulin resistance. And I just recorded a a podcast with Dr. Ben Bickman, and we are going to be talking all about insulin in an episode coming out very shortly. But we can, what I can tell you from our conversation and from the literature is that there are thing, you know, your fertility is going to be compromised. As a woman, this is also true for men. Um, And we discussed on the pod uh, early signs, uh, one of them being migraines. And we talked about the mechanism of action there. But if you are someone who is you know, exercising, counting her calories, uh, but she's noticing some of these skin changes. So the dark circles under her eyes, maybe some skin tags, maybe your migraine or headache sufferer. Um, This you know, weight loss can seem like a Herculean event, right? Um, because you're exercising your little heart out. And this is actually where this um, fallacy of eat less, exercise more really does fall apart because you do have to, you do have to address the endocrine system first. So I um so let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about fasting and how we can, what the interplay here is. Okay. So the first thing that I want you to remember, and you are probably a type A personality, um, probably not, maybe not, uh, you know, or maybe you're recovering (laughs) as I am. Remember that we want to be easy and gentle. And I know that that 
seems like a really hard concept because you're like, no, I just want to push through and make it happen and lose the weight and do the things. But remember, fasting is a hormetic stress. So a hormetic stress or hormesis is this idea that you have a short-term pro-inflammatory, short-term stressor, but the long-term effects of it are actually beneficial for you. So things like exercise, fasting, caloric restriction, macronutrient restriction, heat extremes, cold extremes, these are all examples of hormesis uh, or even xenohormesis, so plant compounds like having resveratrol or EGCG. These are all examples of a hormetic stress. So in the short term, they are stressful, but in the long term, they are better. So remember, Betty, that it is still a stress. And if you are already loading the camel's back with lots and lots of stress, you got the kids and the husband and the home and the career and all the things and the old trauma and the sedentary lifestyle and the diet and the meds, you know, you have to just, let's just take a belly breath here and make fasting easy. It doesn't have to be punitive. You don't have to punish yourself. Okay. So, and let me just say that again. You don't have to punish yourself, honey. Okay. You don't, I promise. So let's start with something called intermittent fasting or a more appropriate term would be time restricted eating. So you're still eating every single day. There's no uh, deprivation, but you're just tightening up the eating window a little bit. So I always love for someone who is chronically stressed and is still working on herself to start with a 12-hour fast. So that means that you're eating over the course of 12 hours, and then you are fasting for a uh, reciprocal 12 hours. And for women, I love to work up from there. That's relatively easy. Most people can kind of get the hang of that in about a week or two. And I love to work up to about a 14 hour fast. So you're eating for 10 hours, right? So let's say you wake up at, uh, call it six o'clock and maybe you have your first meal, um, at nine, you are going to finish eating, um, 10 hours later. So that's going to be seven o'clock. So that's still quite a robust t- uh, uh, period of time for you to get in all of your nutrients. Okay. And over time, if you want, you can play up to, you know, if you're feeling sprightly, you can, you know, you can work up to a 16, eight hour fast. So 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of eating. But for most women who are chronically stressed, a 14, 10 is very gentle and it's actually quite doable. And this is the, this is the thing. Um, if it is not, if it is punitive, if it is hard, if you feel deprived, you're not going to do it. (laughs) Okay. You are going to be like, Oh, I'll do it when I feel ready. Right. It's that all or nothing mentality that we, that as type A Bettys, as boardroom Bettys that we tend to employ. We're like, if I can't do it all, then I must suck. I'm a loser. I'm going to, I'm going to do none of it. So what this is, is really, it's not all or nothing. It's all or something. This is something. And I um I really love this as a as an everyday tool because it's gentle enough to do every single day. And what it's going to do is it is going to it is it is long enough like that 14 hour fast is long enough I promise it's long, like it's backed up by the literature um to bring down the higher insulin environment, right? So you're getting eight hours overnight where there's no food, right? So your insulin is is dropping overnight, plus four if you're doing a 12 hour, plus four more hours if you're doing a 12 hour fast. If you're doing a 14 hour, which is actually where I like most women to sort of end up, uh, that's like 
you know, eight hours overnight plus six, right? There's six hours of wake time where you're not eating. And that is going to be enough time for insulin to come down. So you're not constantly bathing yourselves in insulin. And this is going to be an environment, a metabolic environment that favors glucagon. So if we think about, you know, yin and yang, like opposing, we've talked about the opposing forces of cortisol and insulin. Another opposing hormone to insulin is glucagon. So if insulin is the hoarder, right? If insulin is the one that never throws anything away, right? She brings in all of the substrates for energy and defends what she's built, um, Like glucagon is the uh, cleared credit card on a shopping spree, right? So she um, is the spender. She is lipolytic. So she likes to open up the fat cells and use fat cells for energy. She likes to open up the glycogen stores and use the glycogen for energy. So she's both lipolytic and glycogenolytic, uh, glycogenolytic, pardon me. And she wants to spend your stored energy. This is the environment in a glucagon-rich environment for inducing autophagy, which is cell, it's basically cellular spring cleaning, right? So it's cleaning out older cells, slower cells, bits of nuclear debris and pieces of nucleotide and all those things. It's just in the same way that we spring clean and get rid of accumulated junk in our house every year. We can do this in our body, in our in the only house you actually really have, the only home you really have uh, as well. So this is why this gentle daily fast can be so powerful over time. Now, I'm not saying that if you do this one time, you're going to completely reverse metabolic dysfunction. This is a practice that happens over time. So it is the commitment to consistency that is what re- that's what reveals the results over time. And this is what is going to help someone also reap the benefits of fasting, but without pushing the pedal to the metal by being gentle with her system. Now for the chronic stress, I can't get rid of the kids or the husband or, <laughs> or the, or the career or, or, you know, the home life that's stressing you out. But what I can help you do is I can help you change your response to it. So the first thing that I have talked about on the podcast, but reiterating it here because it is so important is gratitude. Gratitude is the best way to get you out of your ego. It shuts down that relentless punitive voice, the default mode network. You cannot be in gratitude and having a pity party at the same time, right? So I love to wake up every single day in gratitude. So the moment I open my eyes, I'm thinking about, I'm rattling off things that I am super grateful for. And that can be how happy your body is when you tell her you love her, which just as a side note, when was the last time you told your body that you loved her? Why don't you try it right now and see how it feels? So how happy you feel when you love you tell yourself that you love yourself or how lucky you are to live in your home or how beautiful nature can be. The simple pleasures in life, like I had a really great sleep last night. I love that I have a window in my bedroom. Uh, You know, my hair is turning out really good today. You know, my skin is, is looking good all the way up to I am so grateful that I have the brain and the body that I do, that I have the attention to listen to Dr. Stephanie go on these geeky magic carpet rides so that I can learn and be better. There are so many things that you can find in your life. Um, If you start looking that you are a beautiful, wondrous 
you know, child of the universe and there are things to be grateful for. And we've, we've actually done quite a few interviews. We've had quite a few thought leaders on the podcast surrounding getting rid of some of this chronic stress and trauma. So I'll link to the show notes for uh, my conversation with Nicole LaPera, Emily Fletcher, uh, gosh, so many others, Dr. Shafali Sabari, Lisa Nichols, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, Dr. Maya Sheetreet. I mean, these are just, just to rattle off a few of my favorites, uh, really, really great conversations for you to be listening to maybe on a morning walk, uh, when you're hugging a tree <laughs> as I do. So a daily intermittent fast, a time restricted eating regimen is a wonderful way to battle Con- chronic stress so that you don't develop this insulin mediated insulin resistance, that you can start to have a glucagon rich metabolic environment to induce uh, autophagy, to induce uh, lipo- lipolysis and glycogenolysis and all of these things that we want when we're thinking about losing weight and creating a healthy uh, metabolism. And it's so gentle that you can do every single Day, Betty. So I would love for you to start trying this as we move into the winter. Um, this is going to be like I tend to like in the summertime. I find that I can very easily go to a sixteen-eight protocol just because there's so much light out and I'm much more active. But in the winter time, I find that my eating window tends to extend. So I love to keep it about fourteen ten, fourteen hours of fasting, ten hours of eating. I would love for you to start trying this and tell me how you're feeling. And you may not notice a difference. It might be so gentle that. It it might not feel like it's doing something, but I promise you it is. And I promise you that it's worth investing in yourself. And I promise you that it's worth getting rid of the chronic stress in however uh, medium it's presenting itself to you, because it really is the linchpin. It really is the linchpin for many of the chronic diseases that we discuss on the pod. So with that, I will leave you to go on your own geeky magic carpet ride to try fasting and whatever means feels good for you. We've had these, I did this little mini series on fasting over the past couple of weeks because I wanted to really highlight some of the different hormonal environments that, um, and how we can apply fasting as a tool to those different hormonal environments. And I would love to hear how they are all working for you. So until next time, I am looking forward to hearing how fasting is showing up in your life. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.